CabanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Oh, wow. I feel so honored. That's it. I'm not going to say anything now. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. All right. This will be a weirdly one-sided podcast. <laughs> I just... mean, not that weird, Mike. Where'd you get your glasses from? Warby Parker? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's weird to me that people buy their glasses anywhere. Like, I didn't. I didn't know about Warby uh, Parker. Uh, by, by the way, we're wandering into viral video territory here. Oh, nice. There's a guy on the corner here. I just passed him on the way to meet you, who's screaming somewhat incoherently, but coherently enough that you can tell he's upset of the order that um, your language menu goes into for some kiosk that he's at looking for information, and it's press one for Spanish and press two for English. Oh. And he's very upset about that because, you know, oh yeah, we're gonna, oh, we're gonna get, a, we're gonna, he, he could be joining Hook Hands and Shoeless Joe in the Pantheon. What about remember the that town crier? He was just saying, "Dump your country." Do you hear him now, though? Yeah, he's so, like a Verizon crier. Yeah. <laughs> you hear me now? Yeah, he's just uh, yeah screaming. So whatever. But I could have probably made a video of him and just gone like viral on HuffPo or something. Yeah, he's not that interesting. He would no. He was yeah. much more racist before. All right. Well. He's calmed down now that he's gotten someone to actually listen to him on the other end of the kiosk. As fascinating as all of this is. Do you see that Jenga site type building? That's John's building. Oh, wow. Yeah. I actually hate that building. It's it's. Very I think it is a mar on the New York City landscape. I don't know which one is Key and which one is Peel, but one of them also lives there because yeah. I saw him take Oh, I understand. It's a very, it looks like it's a very nice building yeah. with very posh amenities within. It just doesn't belong in Manhattan. Look, I don't know, man. Certainly not downtown Manhattan. I have some very definite ideas about downtown Manhattan. Yeah. You know, it should just be all cold water flats with a plywood board over the bathtub in the middle of the kitchen as the table. You've been to my apartment. That's not that's not a very good description. I live very far downtown. You, uh, you, you also live off to the side. You live in one of those weird, you know, near the river communities in Manhattan. Yeah. The river. Yeah. I've always wanted to live next to the river. All right. Anyway, how about Kawhi Leonard to the Raptors? Uh, pretty exciting. Uh, not for either Kawhi Leonard or DeMar DeRozan. You don't think? They're both super unhappy. Look, man. No, there's... no. I mean, like, they've both been public. DeMar DeRozan is devastated by this trade. He was, he's just been tweeting and Instagramming and Snapchatting with, about how he just feels completely lied to by Toronto. Yeah. And, you know, really wanted to be like a Raptor for life and all this stuff. And he just, he's just like super upset about the trade. And then, uh, and Kawhi doesn't want to be anywhere but LA. Kawhi, Kawhi doesn't, I mean. And he's just sad. So both, like, it's just like both teams are just. Up, both players are just upset about the trade. I'm like 95% sure that this is the best thing that could have happened to DeMar DeRozan. Right? Like, DeMar DeRozan is, to this point in his career, not a real superstar. But everyone pretended that he was a superstar because sometimes Toronto would win 50 or 60 games. Sure. Okay? And, like, 
I, first of all, you know how I feel about Musai Ujiri, right? I think the guy is a magician. So I don't think that the, <clears throat> that the trade is nearly as bad for Toronto. No one thinks the trade is bad for Toronto. Like, I mean... Everyone thinks the trade is good for Toronto. I mean, like, Danny Green might be an upgrade to DeMar DeRozan, to be quite frank. Every, everyone thinks this is a good deal for them. Not, you know, they get out of DeMar DeRozan's kind of heinous contract. Yeah. They will clear Serge Ibaka at the end of this coming season. And and they Kawhi, might win the East. They, well, they almost, yeah, they're, they're certainly going to play Boston in the finals for the East, right? Well, I mean, there's three good teams now, right? Sure. I mean, I, I don't know. I... I don't know how to feel about the Raptors. If, if you were to ask me, like, my assessment of the Raptors the past several years, including this past year where they were first seed, I would just always been like, they're not actually a really good team because, you know, they rely a lot on DeMar DeRozan, who isn't very good. And, but, but Masai Ujiri is a magician, right? Like, that's the way that I'd, sure. I'd look at it. And, I mean, that guy could have been viral. I think he might have a virus and, like... <laughs> It's, it's uh, affecting I, his brain. Chemistry. I gotta look at him. He definitely does. All right. So anyway, um, but like, here's the thing. I think Popovich has just decided that he wants to be the wizard of mid-range, <laughs> right? Like, he's like, massage this Lamarcus Aldridge. Let's take all of our shots outside the paint. Offense where they have like the highest PPS in the league, even though they like no longer play Popovich offenses. I think DeRozan is. Possibly the second best player you could possibly have for that offensive scheme. And I think this could be great for him. I think he might actually blossom into a really performing player. What team does better in their division, the Raptors or the Spurs? I think the Spurs win 50 games. I think like, they're just back to winning 50 games. I think that like the, the X factor in the West is... What seed do you think the Raptors are in the East? One. Okay. Approximately one, no worse than three. I mean, they certainly, you're right. They basically just upgraded their roster. Yeah, I mean. For a year. Presuming Kawhi and then shows have, up. And then have double max contract cap space for 2019, after 2019. I mean, do you, what's what's Kyle's situation? Is he, is he locked in? Lowry. I don't know. But he, he's under, I believe he's under contract. I don't think, I don't think he comes... So, I don't think he's coming off. The big next problem. Year. I think it's just a buck is coming off the cap next year. The big problem here matter. is, like that Toronto team was never going to win the title, right? Like the problem is like they're just a horrendous version of the Spurs, or a horrendous version of the Rockets, depending on which lineup you want to put up. And neither one of those teams is going to beat the Warriors in the finals, presuming the Warriors are going to go to the finals. But the like, only thing I want to talk about, yeah, is the fact. That second-round draft pick, Mitchell Robinson, set a summer league, rec- summer league record for blocks? for blocks per game. I saw it. You think, you think I don't know about you and your knickerbockers and your... How could I miss it? <laughs> Everybody I know was like, whoa. <laughs> Anybody see this? Yeah, I did see it. Y'all all said it at the same time. <laughs> Every damn one of you posted the same ESPN screenshot. And, and the article about Kevin Durant possibly maybe knowing that people have said he might want to come to the Knicks. Why would he come to the Knicks? Well, because the Knicks will have a really good young core this year. Uh, they'll have Porzingis back by the end of the year. And then he can come to the East and Toronto will have dismantled. Maybe. Maybe. Or whatever. But, you know. Toronto has like a lot of like good he, players he, who are like not their superstars. Like, 
like the thing is the player who comes to New York yeah. and carries the Knicks you know to like people love Mello and he didn't do shit for the Knicks I mean this is like an imaginary situation right like <laughs> like this is like this, the classic Starberries right yeah oh yeah classic Starberries if you understand I'm just like I'm a fan I'm not I'm not based on anything but hopeless optimism yeah yeah I can respect you I mean, it's not like my team is going to be doing anything for a while. Right. I think they'll make the playoffs. I think, like, the Vegas odds of them at 29 is, is horribly insulting. Like, I mean, it's unless they blow the team up, right? Like, right. They could easily... I mean, I don't know. Is this team even blow-upable? They have all so <laughs> many bad contracts that they took on to try to keep LeBron. So, I don't know. Um, People seem to love that. Who's the, who's the young guy you guys got? Colin Youngball. Colin Sexton. Yeah, Colin Sexton. He made first team from the summer. I mean, oh, man, I would have been so happy if my Cavaliers beat the Lakers two nights ago (laughs) because LeBron was there, right? Yeah. They went to two overtimes. You know, he missed missed a free throw in overtime on the last, like, you know, three seconds left in overtime. They could have just won. I mean, to be fair, Josh Hart also missed a free throw, right? So, uh, like, John Holland or whoever... Fouled Josh Hart, and then they fouled right back, and then Sexton only. When did summer league? When did all of this stuff become relevant? This year. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they've been having summer league for years, and I don't know a soul who's ever mentioned it. But this year, everyone wants to talk about it. Clearly not a Nick fan. Nick Nick fans talk about summer (laughs) league. We also talk a lot about Westchester and the G League. Oh yeah. So, I mean, by the way, we also talk about the big three. Because have you seen what's the, the big three? That's the that's the like league, the old timers league. I would watch those games. I told you I'd go with you. Nate Robinson lobbing to Amari Stoudemire. Oh wow, this is just sad now. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's super sad. <laughs> that crowd's really sad. Amari Stoudemire was in train wreck with LeBron James just like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> what happened there? Oh, you want to talk about Magic the Gathering cards? We can talk about Magic the Gathering cards. I mean, we're only 10 minutes in. This isn't really our... Fine. Magic yeah. the Gathering cards it is. Okay. What What do you want... What? What's... Uh, so, M19, I've been, I've been drafting a bunch. Uh, what What is... What stands out for you for Actually, the M19? Just jump to green. Green? Yeah, I'm going to write the... So, this is the preview article. This this podcast right now is the preview article. Um, I'm going to write the new Who's the Beatdown. Okay. I'm like I so I played in the pre-release and I played a card uh, called it's a three casting cost enchantment. Um, I don't know what the hell the name of it is. Lanchwood armor? No, it's a, an enchantment that go not an enchant creature. Oh, colossal majesty. That's the one. At the beginning, so colossal majesty is two and a G. At the beginning of your upakapa, if you control a creature with four or power four or greater, draw a card. Right, so. I had I was playing green, so I had a lot of four power grades. I had like a bunch of pigs, or you know, like a yeah. some sort of an elephant or a bull. I don't know what kind of animals they were, but they sure. all had four or five power. I mean, it all cost five. You know, one of them cost four or something like that. So I was just like, like I have a bane fire in my deck, so <laughs> I just kind of want to draw into it. And then I have like you know all these like garbagey green creatures. So I'll play this card. So I played it, and I played it oftentimes on turn three, and I was able to play a creature with requisitely high power on turn four every single time that I played it on turn three. Right. And I won most of those games. Yeah. And I didn't win all the games. And I was often under severe pressure from just like a single 2-2 for four or 2-2 flyer that my opponent had played. 
pretty substantial. And I was really, really, really kimono open pants down a lot of the time to a removal spell, right? So like, here's my, my entire, my entire psychic web is around playing this enchantment, presuming that I untap two turns from now, two turns from now with the Deuter in play, because I'm gonna get some card advantage. And then once that starts rolling, you know, I got like a it's, five, five for five with Vigilance. It's like the worst divination ever. It's, but here's my, here's my old right? underlying. Like, but this is a good three, card to play in this strategy, three on right? turn three. Yeah. Draw no cards. Turn four, do something. Turn five, maybe draw a card. Turn I mean, six, draw a card. I, like, I, I had a lot of games where I drew a lot of cards, but right? If you were green, but if you were green and blue, yeah. and you're get, coming down to the end of your deck, would you play this card over Divination? I, I, I mean, it depends on what my creatures were. But in this particular case, I wanted to play the card solely because I had a Banefire. Sure. Right? So Banefire is just like, this is the you thing. You had a game like, over card yeah. and you wanted to find it. And I had a Recollect. So I like I play, I recollected the hell out of that Banefire that, that pre-release, right? I went two and two. Okay. <laughs> I mean, people have like really busto decks, right? Like, it's hard to beat a deck that just play like, you know, you're playing great technical magic every single turn and they're just like dragon, 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 right? And they have like a spit flame. I mean, how was that fair? There's common dragons. Yeah, oh yeah. And they like, I had a, I had one of the common dragons. I would play for the card advantage, you know. So here's my thesis. In 1999, I said that people were losing because they were not properly assigning whether they were the beatdown or the control in a matchup. Yes. And that became... Can you, can you call this new version of the, uh, to whom the beatdown may concern? No, it's just going to be called, they're, face it, they're the beatdown. Okay. Okay. Everybody's the beatdown, right? Or everybody wants to be the beatdown, okay? So the problem is... So, You're saying if you think to whom the beatdown may, may concern, concern is a better title, you should say something to Mike on Twitter. That's okay. All. So so I'm, just, I'm still developing how I'm going to write this up, but I think that the actual thing that makes people lose the most games in serious magic, more than anything else, maybe more than everything else put together, is the effort to jockey for card advantage. Because... Everybody is in the first core principle of like when you make that first like theoretical leap in like I'm a noob and now I'm less of a noob and I start to you know the world starts to make sense or whatever it's around the idea specifically of landing two for ones or finding opportunities to get card advantage right like a block where you take damage so that you can you know block with the same creature twice that would be an example unlimited or identification utilization of low casting cost cards that are like streets. I'm gonna say him to Torok, right? But everything like that, right? Um, so people oftentimes have to jockey their, their, their board position in such a way where they take a massive amount of damage in order to gain card advantage. And I think like the principal offenders on this are gonna be cards like Fumigate, Settle the Wreckage, Right, sweepers, right? Because you have to you have to let them play into a spot where you can get the card advantage. Because if you just get them with a one for one, it's not that effective, right? Or they're playing cards like Thaumatic Compass that are slow and are like very reliable sources of card advantage, but take time. Like while you're doing this, you're probably like taking it on the jaw from a two-two, right? Or this is this is sort of the concept that's become known as dirtling. I think it's related to that, right? But I don't think that it's all dirtling. Like, when you fumigate someone, that's not dirtling. No, 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 but like, I'm, I'm talking about the idea of, like, something like a thumat, uh, using a thematic compass to gain card advantage or casting a divination and taking a turn off to draw two cards. So the thing is, like, I think that, that the default that players have is, like, got to get card advantage. How can I get card advantage? 
how can I get card advantage with the cards that I have in front of me, even when they're not card advantage cards, right? Like, the mono-red player is trying to find a way to get card advantage, right? Even if that's, you know, trade my Earthshaker Kenra so I can rebuy my Earthshaker Kenra, right? Like, I mean, certainly, like, how long, how long do you wait to land the Goblin Chain Whirler before it's not good enough for you, right? Like, these are the questions that they're, and you're manipulating your game around this? picturing now at the World Magic Cup, Shota Yasuoka drawing seven cards off his Bowmat Courier again. Yeah. So, I think that that... That's how long you wait. Yeah? <laughs> did he win that game? He did. He won, he won the World Magic Cup. Okay. Yeah, actually. So, he won that game. <laughs> so, my point being... Uh, and I'm not sure, like, I, I'm not sure how to flesh it out in its entirety, but I'm sure you've seen this, right? No, like, no, I'm, I'm everybody's so, playing it. So, way. a card that's in the set is Psy Ma- Master Thopterist, right? This is a, it's two and a U for a 1-4 legend, and it has, whenever you cast an artifact spell, create a 1-1 colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying, right? And so I've had multiple game spots where I've, I've played this in a draft, and I've had, you know, a decent amount of artifacts, and really trying to figure out um, like my, my sequence where I'm going to get the most, I guess we would call it virtual card advantage if I'm turning them into Thopters. But like there are times where it's like you actually don't want to play this on turn three and you actually want to play like your Manolith and ramp your mana and then... But that, turn, that order doesn't get you the card advantage Right, you and so you're like, you're really struggling with what's the right sequence here, will I draw a land to be able to, to you know, I, I, I definitely have some, have, have seen a couple instances, and Colossal Majesty is another one of those cards. Well, here's an example, right? I don't know if you've seen the new standard decks that have come out over the course of the last weekend, because this is the first weekend that... I, I haven't sets. had a chance to look yet. So Grixis is the most successful deck so far. I mean, Mono Green Beatdown that has the new... 2-2 two, two for uh, one and a G. That, 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 new two, that new guy's awesome. Um, I don't know, remember his name yet, um, but he's... The one where if you target it, you get a 1-1, one, one. Yeah, they yeah. get a 1-1. One, one. And he's also has a pump ability. Yeah. That guy is a four of in like every green deck now. So um, that guy won the classic and then the other most successful deck is Grixis with three copies of uh, Nico Bolas in the main deck. So Nico Bolas is basically outstripping both the Scarab God and Trunch Gear Hulk right now. You're seeing like So you're talking about th- so just going back for a second. Yeah. So we're talking about Thorn Lieutenant. So one a one and a G for a two three. And then when it becomes the target of a spell and an ability and opponent controls, you get a one one green elf warrior. And then it's five and G to pump Thorn Lieutenant plus four plus four. Yeah, like it's a super disgustingly onerous, you never want to tap six for this ability ability that you're going to end well, up getting a lot of the time and it's going to be good for you, right? Like, but it's like, you know, um, but it, the threat of you being able to do that will sometimes sculpt a game. It's just filthy with Blossoming Defense, <laughs> right? Like, you get the 1-1 one, one and then you're just like, Blossoming Defense! But anyway, back to back to what I was saying on the, on the Grixis deck. These Grixis decks are playing, like, one copy of Unlicensed Disintegration, right? Yeah. I remember it when Shadow won... Uh, Pro Tour like two years ago he had like two unlicensed disintegrations in his deck and like the only artifact was Torrential Gear Hulk right he's just like buying it back pretty good combo yeah it is so these decks have like no artifacts they have like a Torrential Gear Hulk maybe two Torrential Gear Hulks and then like Whirler Virtuoso which is not an artifact but sometimes makes artifacts right right? so a really good example is let's say you have three spare mana and they have like a relevant dude 
you're not dead, right? Like, it's not going to kill you next turn. If you were to kill you next turn, you just slam your unlicensed disintegration on the table, right? But, like, just milking it out so that you can get the three-point value, sometimes it's going to be right, sometimes it's uh, because of this. Um, like, these kinds of decisions, right? right. Like, uh, because they're really, really, really... Like, pregnant with opportunity to, like, get in an extra advantage. And, like, it's not it's not always obvious when something is going to... When something is going to punish you, right? Like, uh, I can't... I, th I, don't, I think it might have been Mello uh, who said this. Actually, it's just, like, we focus so much on, like, the last two minutes of the game. But, like, if we played bad defense at, like, the end of the second quarter, or we, like, gave up these possessions that, like that two points is actually contributing to our win or loss. Sure. And nobody thinks about it that way. Well, the I first think, possession is as valuable as that yeah, last possession. But they're thinking about only the last. And the, so it, it's this thing that... Oh, I see. It's this, it's this thing that I, I think I've kind of developed in playing like Tetris on really high speeds, which is like... I'm really good at recovering from difficult situations, but like the the preponderance of difficult situation on difficult situation is causing drag where you're like, at some point I'm not gonna have an optimal board. I'm gonna, and there's gonna be a cascade of pieces that I don't want and I don't have the right spots for it and I'm gonna lose, right? And it's super not obvious to me because it might not happen for 20 minutes, you know? And so I think that these situations where players are like, all right, I'm gonna take three points here because, and then they have whatever story they have, I'm gonna recover, I'm gonna get three, I'm gonna wait for it's super not obvious when they're gonna get when they're gonna get hella caught with uh with uh uh you know something horrible, right? I I I just think back to this play that Carlos Romao made, I believe in that same pro tour that Shadow won, where he's playing against I wanna say Matt Nass playing okay. Aetherworks Marvel, does that sound right? Yeah, it sounds like Matt Nass for sure. Right, so and he goes he goes uh he like disallows some whatever the regular counter spells like disallow or whatever something right. Yeah. And he has six open. Matt Nass has no cards in hand. Matt Nass rips, plays Aetherworks Marvel. I think almost everybody uh, in the in the GD world would just cast uh, cast a uh, uh, Torrential Gearhulk with six mana open of like flashback the disallow. Yeah. And he doesn't. He like casts uh, the the UU2 out of his hand to like counter it and like all of its friends. You know, like yeah. uh, counter you and all of your friends. And then he plays his land and he just says go and you know, like everybody in the world were just like had a, you know, this Gearhulk in play be smashing him this turn. He has no cards. So the next turn he untaps and casts Emrakul out of nowhere. Right? He just Emrakul. So then he, now he casts the Torrential Gear Hulk and flashes back the counter you and all of your friends. Like, look, the amount, against a player who has no cards and then has no cards again, like, the foresight required to have that sequence is stunning to me, right? Like, obviously he won the game, but I think, like, 99% of the players in the world literally just lose there, right? Because it's just so obvious. It's like, I, I should just cast the... This is the, a prime situation to cast the Gear Hulk, right? Right. So, it was, was interesting. So you're you really, uh, I mean, you're so you're saying it's it's you know a, a variant on who's the beatdown, but really, I mean, really, you're just talking about like optimal play throughout the game. Right? Well, optimal I think sequencing. What I was thinking really is who's the beatdown drew a line in the sand. He said you're either on this side of the line or you're this side of the line, right? And that like 
all of the rhetoric that we that we talk about is highly relative and the problem is people were thinking about it in absolutes so just the easiest example right like if you're like a white weenie deck you're the beatdown right if you're a mono red deck you're the beatdown well you can't both be the beatdown right like one of you is the beatdown and here's going to be successful and one of you is not right. and if you're not going to be successful how do you resolve this right so either you don't have a plan right or you try to do this thing and you're going to fail right or you know obviously this problem has been solved in many many different ways in the ensuing 19 years but uh just to give you an example when i made top eight of modern regionals a few months ago right uh i was playing you know red white burn because that's the only deck i ever play and I was playing uh, for top eight against a player who had just won Star City Classic the previous week, right? And he was playing Humans, which is, he played probably the same 75 that he won the Classic with the previous week, right? And he beat me in game one. And I beat him very tight in game two. Then I demolished him in game three, right? And so, like, a lot of times you just hear people talking, like, how they're describing your game. They're talking about, like, oh my god, that was the coolest game I ever saw. And... I found that the descriptions of the game that I was playing were like really interesting, right? So my game plan was to, I, I took out all my cards really that were intended to damage my opponent. In fact, in game three, I played a first turn goblin guide and then didn't attack with it, right? I was just like, I actually don't want to attack with a goblin guide. I have a lot of liabilities here. If, uh, if I attack, like he might, he might have a trick, right? Um, or like, I, then I might have to use my mana on something that I don't want to, I actually just want to develop my board. And all I did was just remove his creatures one for one and then just fill my graveyard for Grim Lavamancer. And I just killed all of his guys until he had no cards in hand. Because he just, at some point, doesn't have any tricks, right? He's just <laughs> like, Aether Bylaw to Dude, is, that's the extent of his game plan. And then I just attacked him once he had no more resources, right? So it was interesting to hear how people were describing how, how I just play. But like, that's clearly a case where like, mono red beats or whatever, red, white, burn, it's hard to imagine a more linearly aggressive deck in in modern, if right? Like, if you're gonna pick a deck, that's always the beat. Down. Yeah, it's always the beat down. But like, no, I took out all my face burn. Like I took out all my like like a uh, you know skull crack type type card. I think I left spikes for curve, but sure. like I took out Eidolon of the Great Rebel, which is like my favorite card. You know, I still got all the stuff that damages opponents' faces, and I just side in all stuff that kills creatures. And I literally didn't attack with Goblin Guide, right? Like I just like. Not that not attacking with Goblin Guide is the most know your role yeah, like, uh, thing I've ever heard in my life. Because I'm like, he could easily have a trick here where I'm probably not going to lose the Goblin Guide, but then like I'm just in a race now, but he's drawing extra cards because of my Goblin Guide. It makes no sense. Like, I'm just going to have a 2-2 two, two on defense. He's not going to attack me. Like, what, it's, what, what trick are you worried about? He had like Aether Vial. Oh, okay. So like, okay. so he has Vial in play and I'm just like, he could, like, he could... He could have, in that situation, vialed out um, the 2-1, uh, 2-1, um... Uh, Whatever, he can just vial out a Thalia and yeah, strike it one. to death. Yeah, that's literally <laughs> the creature that I didn't want him right. to, to vial out, right? Yeah. So I'm just like, I have a spot here, like, I'm so far behind if he does, I could kill it, but I would waste my lightning bolt here. Like, I just don't want to do that, right? right. So, um, I, I just want to develop my board, so I just said go. And, uh... You know, it obviously worked out. It worked out for me in that match, and uh, yeah, like you know, Goblin got on D. Gas against <laughs> one ones, you know. So, uh, and I, I th so anyway, who's the beatdown? The original who's the beatdown instructs these kinds of games. It's just like figure out what you're gonna do and how you're gonna do it because you can't both be the beatdown. 
my thesis is in 2018, most of the stuff that I theorized about for the last 20 years, not most, most is wrong. A lot of it's still relevant, but they've made the cards so fast. Like the theory breaks down, it's like physics. Like when, when you talk about very, very large things like galaxies or very, very small things like subatomic particles, all the physics that we learn about in high school doesn't work anymore, right? So I was watching Justin Bonamo uh, win the one drop last night on ESPN. Do you know Justin? Justin Z, he's a magic player. He Z knows Justin. Z Justin, yeah. Yeah, yeah I know his name. Yeah. I'm um, not best friends with him. Yeah, yeah, you know, and he knows John, he knows Aaron. Yeah. yeah. Hung out with him a couple of times. Uh, pretty exciting, right? Magic player, doing really well uh, in this event. And, uh, but it was very interesting. They were talking about how poker, you know, over the course of the discussion, talking about how poker has changed, right? Like there was a point when, you know, Chris Moneymaker was winning the World Series of Poker, where you would get to these kind of heads up situations and people would just be like, I've got ace 10, push all my chips into yeah. the middle of the table and just see what happens, right? Like People don't was, do that anymore? And that was just kind of the way people were playing and that was just kind of the stuff, whatever for whatever. And I don't know, you know, I'm not, uh, a scholar on poker, so I don't know the theory behind why, why people are doing that. Maybe it was wrong back then, but the idea that like it's just you know become more fine tuned, and people were just doing these kind of over bets instead, right? They were just making these like kind of like really large bets, but they weren't pushing all in, but just like enough so that it wasn't obvious whether they were bluffing or not. And people were we had to make these really complicated decisions, and they weren't just blown out if they lost. And it was just kind of like granularization of poker theory from what is that 20 years ago already yeah oh wow you know yeah. what i mean like so so along the same lines right like the idea that things have evolved and you know people were talking about like the idea of riffing off of well if you know people prescribe subscribe to this particular theory of poker then how do you play against them with this new like almost like a grand unified theory of poker yeah so they were talking about like how do you how do you exploit people's belief systems when it comes to how they play. So it's just kind of interesting to hear, you know, you talk about like this idea, like, oh, okay, well, we learned all these basic things about about magic. And it's funny because because of Hearthstone and because of Arena, right, a lot of those topics get revisited, right? You've, you've had people rip off who's the beatdown for 20 Every years. game. For every game. Every right? time a new game comes out. Right, somebody writes... Here's this great idea that I had, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and... And so um, people will be relearning those concepts again, right? It's like people start to get into arena, assuming arena is successful at drawing people into magic, then there'll be who's the beatdown and philosophy of fire and, you know, the mana curve and, you know, all this other sort of fundamental theories of magic. But I, I, I do like this concept of, okay, well, how have those evolved? What, what have we learned in 20 years that makes this more useful? That's not just us fumbling around in the dark trying to make sense of this game which is what we were doing so, 20 22 years all ago. of these things which include like tap all your mana on your own turn tap the most mana you can for how much efficacy you're getting out right like deploy the correct number of cards relative to the number of cards you have in hand and the amount of mana you have get two for ones you know instead of one for ones when you can get three for ones instead of two for ones when you can right like these are all tools, but I think that people use them and just like, oh, the rule is to get card advantage, so I go to get card advantage. The rule is to spend my cards, so I'm gonna cast my cards. A really easy example. Uh, I actually put this out in a, in a poll in an article recently, which is like, you have like six lands in play, your opponent, your opponent has six swamps in play and seven cards in hand. He hasn't played anything. 
Six swamps, seven cards in hand. It's game one, you don't know what he is. You're, you have six lands in play, and you have five cards in hand, and your cards are Approach of the Second Sun, Supreme Will, Glimmer of Genius, uh, Dissolve, and a land. What play do you make? What do you do there? I don't know. I, I can't visualize the board in my so, head. The vast majority, because the, there's nothing in, so you have five cards. Yeah. You have a Glimmer of Genius in your hand and a Supreme Will in your hand. Yeah. Your opponent hasn't done anything. It's, everything's untapped. Untapped. Yeah. You're everything untapped. He's passing to you. How You're much gonna mana be, do I have? You have six. He has six. Okay. You have a Glimmer, a Supreme Will, a Dissolve, an Approach, and a Land. You have five okay. cards. You do anything? Play a land, say go. No, no, it's the end step. It's the end step. I, pro I probably glimmer. Probably glimmer. More than half the people glimmer, right? That's a horrendous play. Okay. I'll tell you why. Because it, it the rules that people have their, as their baseline rules is get a two for one when you can and tap your mana when you can, right? Against the board that I described, it's not that you can't lose, right? You can lose. You more than double your chances of losing if you cast the glimmer, right? You're probably going to win. The correct play is to just go, it doesn't matter what I draw because I have a seventh land already. Seventh land approach, okay? He has a one-turn window at this point to hit me specifically with a Lost Legacy. Now, he can go uh, Mastermind's Acquisition into Lost Legacy or have a main deck Lost Legacy. Some maniacs like Ali Antrazi can do this to you, right? Mm -hmm. It's not common, but he has, a, he has this turn window. Oh, he has actually a two-turn window, this turn and next turn. Actually, no, only this turn. This turn, he can hit me with a Lost Legacy, right? If he doesn't, Oh, you're just gonna, I'm gonna untap well and glimmer, and glimmer into, it. into it, and I win. I have, I literally have a dissolve for cover. I almost can't lose. Okay. Okay. The only way that you make your hand better is if you deliberately glimmer into a second approach. So you go approach, untap, approach instead of approach, double draw, approach. Right. But if you do that, you turn duress five. You actually make, if you actually get your your best draw here, you actually make his deck better if he has duress. And the thing that's even worse about it is most of the time you'll miss, right? Because you're not gonna, it's unlikely that like, given the way that we've talked, there's like 40-ish cards left in your deck, you're probably not gonna hit a second approach uh, in the next five cards, or next three cards, depending on what your glimmer distribution is. But because you use the glimmer, you're off by a turn, which means that if he has Lost Legacy or duress Lost Legacy, you more than double his chances of getting it because he gets another draw step. Right? It's almost unspeakable how bad casting a glimmer is here, but most people would make that sure. play. Right? So, it, it, so this, this whole thing is like jockeying for card advantage is costing people games, and they have no idea that, like, they're like, oh, that's just the play that you make, right? And I think it's like what. It's very funny you said that. So, I was playing a, playing a game of draft the other day, and I have um, Transmogrifying Wand. I was just no, talking my, about this. My opponent card. has actually the Transmogrifying Wand. I didn't wand. play that card in one of my sealed pools, and Patrick told me that was embarrassing. My opponent's playing Transmogrifying Wand. Yeah. And is really worried about my flyers. Or, I don't even remember what, but it doesn't matter. I'm super low life. They have a Dragon's Egg that they've had forever. Yeah. And I've just not attacked on the ground. <laughs> and literally, at any point in the he game... He just wands his Dragon's Egg. He just egg. wands his Dragon's Egg, gets 2-4, and gets... A dragon whelp yeah. out of it. I'm just. But he dead. Do, he doesn't see it. I don't know if he doesn't see it or he was just so worried, like just about. But this solves your flyer problem. Like he's just so worried about me 
having a creature that he couldn't deal with. But doesn't it solve the yeah, fire yeah, problem? Yeah, it's possible he didn't see it also. I, but, he must have not seen it. But, you know, he was just so locked into the idea that he used the wand on my creatures. Yeah, it's it's funny. When we were playing did in you the... See, did you see what I did with wand yesterday, by the way? No. So I had the creature that turns an artifact, gives a... During your attack step, it turns an artifact creature you control plus two, plus two, and indestructible. And so I was doing that, and then after combat, you target it with Transmogrifying Wand. It can't be destroyed, and you get a free ox. That's cute. So Transmogrifying Wand is outstanding and limited, you're saying? It's pretty good. All right. So uh, I was just thinking, I don't know if I told you this. I played in the RPTQ about a month ago or yeah. whatever, a few weeks ago. And so I ended up ended up drawing, unintentional drawing this round. And I mean, Osip let me have it when I unintentionally drew. Liked by Padma Lakshmi. That's my tweet. Hard to upstage BM Kibler of Mark, but we found someone up to the task, Padma Lakshmi. Yeah? yeah? This is your new girlfriend? I mean, you know, know she, my wife's okay with it. Tell you what. She's in Hong Kong right now. Oh, She's not here. I've seen her in the Whole Foods at, yeah. on Houston Street. Like, okay. actually right. seen her. All right, so anyway, um, so, like, I, uh, I'm i playing a green-black ramp deck, uh, and I'm playing against blue-white, and my opponent's just a dick. Like, a gigantic dick, right? Like, so much of a dick. Like, uh, like arguing over every, every stupid thing, right? Sure. Like, so, like, when he cuts my deck before we start playing, one of the cards is loose. And he's like, did you see the card? And I said, no. And then he called the judge. Okay. And then got me a warning for looking at extra cards. Before, and I'm like, I just didn't see it. You know, like, like to be before the game starts, right? Like, he's just, like, like not playing hard, like, just a yeah. dick. So, at one point... You got Colos. At one point, he's, like, clearly... He, he, it's that stupid, embarrassing thing where you know enough of the rules that you know that there's a play you're supposed to make, but you don't know enough of the rules that you do it wrong. Like, um... Darwin Castle did this against uh, Terry Borer at Pro Tour 4, where he, like, I mean, Pro Tour Hall of Famer Darwin Castle did not understand how attack priority worked. Somebody got him, and then he tried to do it, and then he just did it wrong both times. You know this story? Was that Atlanta? It was Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, You know this story, right? Like, he cost himself two different matches because somebody got him with attack priority correctly, and then he tried to do it, but he did it wrong, right? Against Terry Borer, right? So so he does this thing, because if if all your man is untapped against uh with a teferi in play you have to untap your opponent's lands right so he taps his own lands so that he can so that he can uh untap them with teferi instead of untapping my lands right Right. do you know this play you have to untap your opponent's lands if all your lands are untapped yeah okay all right so he knows this right so i'm like all right i let you resolve the ability then i go to make a play right and then he's just like jumping through all these hoops about how much untapped mana he has i'm like no I let your ability resolve. Like that's actually that's just so simple, right? So then he's just getting in a fight with me because he's a giant dick, right? And his own teammate is like, "Dude, you're wrong." He's like, "I'm not." Like his own teammate is, "I'm so sorry." Like <laughs> he's like, "Dude, you're just wrong." Right? So then, so I'm like getting pretty heat because the guy's a dick, yeah. right? So I'm getting like pretty heated, right? So the judge comes over and he pulls me away from the table, right? He's like, we have to listen to this thing. Eric Smith comes, he's the head judge. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, explain this to him. He's like, first of all, he's not going to win. <laughs> Second of all, I do have to like, listen to him tell his story and then tell him he's not going to win, right? right. So then like, I sit down and then so Eric Smith adjudicates this thing. And then he just like untaps like a blue and a white, right? And I'm like, all right, 
uh, you tap two planes, right? like you don't get to have untapped blue, right? That's not a thing that you get to do, right? He's just about to let his teammate is just his teammate just goes over and untaps one of the planes. He's such a dick, right? So yeah. I'm like I hate to, like, I would ever hate to like admit that I'm tilted, right? But like we go deep into a game three and we're like, you know, it's like like my deck isn't fast and his deck is super slow, right? And I just play out of so many holes, right? I just play out, play out. I'm like, all right, daylight. I think I got it, right? You know, but it's gonna take a while because I'm not a fast deck. Like, I have to beat him with like a Vraska and like some tutus, basically. But I've, I'm ahead enough, and I just get, I keep getting him with just like sacrificing black deserts to plus three, plus three, my two two to kill his Deferi. I do it like three times, you know. So, so I'm just like deep into this game. And then I get in there, I hit him with like a, with a walking ballista on attack at some point, right? So then the next turn, I just go to do it again, and I just get caught by a set of the wreckage. You know what? It's my own fault. After the match, I go, oh, so was watching, he's like, you probably thought he was lucky to rip the set of the wreckage. I'm like, he was. He's like, he was, and you still shouldn't have attacked the walking ballista. I don't know how you lose the game if your walking ballista doesn't die, you know? And the thing that's killing me is that Roman's sitting next to me, right? Who's just like the blue-white guy, right? And there's so many things on play pattern where like, obviously I could get caught by a subtle record, but I could also get caught by a, by a, by a, um, a seal away, right? Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just like playing for speed here, right? To finish. And this is a time where your teammate should put his hand on your shoulder and be like, Mike, Settle down. Don't attack with this thing. Settle down. Yeah. You've got this game sealed away. <laughs> right? So anyway, what ends up happening is I end up, I, I have him dead three different ways on the table when it's end of turn five. And I'm just so we unintentional draw. And he's like, he has no cards in his deck. He has zero cards in his deck. I have two different ways to lethal him in and I can't attack him. Right? It's just, so it's super sad. So, but Osip size doesn't deserve to win because I made that attack. Right? Which is probably true. That's probably true. But here's the other thing. We wouldn't even have gone to time except for two problems. One of them is, instead of stopping me on the one turn that it mattered, right, where I shouldn't have attacked the walking ballista, my teammates are just like, cr like critiquing every every planeswalker activation I have. And then Osip said the worst thing that happened to me was that I ripped an Argyle's Bloodfast with about five minutes left. I had oh. so much life. And he's I'm sitting here like drawing like up to eight every turn. You know, he's just like, if you just kept saying go, the dude would have run out of cards. Because he had no cards in his library, That's right? Fine. So I actually elongated his life. Yeah. Um, I don't remember why. Why I lost? I mean, I not you won a game. Six more. Oh well, I didn't. I, I not won a game because of card advantage again. There you go. <laughs> Argyle's Bloodfast, Walking Ballista. Interesting. So what's what's the takeaway of this lesson? Like, what's what's think, the whole takeaway of this? Who's the beatdown? I think people utilize stuff as general rules. I think there maybe there are, I mean, maybe the, not to say that there are no general rules, but that we should recontextualize some of the things that we think of as general rules as tools, right? So here's an example. A screwdriver is a really useful tool. Most of us have a screwdriver in our homes mm -hmm. and we use it for a variety of tasks. A screwdriver is poorly used as a hammer. It can't not be used as a hammer, right? But it's not a great hammer, right? Typically, if you try to use a screwdriver as a hammer, you'll just break the handle, right? Like, you, you hold, like, the yeah. pointy end. I've you, done it. You might break the... You know, it's a plastic screwdriver. The worst thing you do is break your skin. There's a lot of things wrong with Personal this. But you've done it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, But these are tools, and what we should do is instead of focusing on when we can apply general rules, which is generally, because that's why they're, these are generals, we should instead say, is this the right context for using this tool? Tempo is a tool. Card advantage is a tool. Tapping all your mana is a tool. So th this is why you were asking me the other day for the 
you were looking for a quote from Aaron from Forsyth. From Aaron Forsyth, yeah. So there's no quote necessarily about it. That was when I was, when I first started writing for Daily MTG. Oh, this is like 15 years ago. Yeah, when yeah. I first started writing for, he was not in R&D yet. He was actually He was the, the editor. editor. And so we would, you know, talk about <laughs> articles. And we were writing about the idea, talking about the idea of doing things at the end of your opponent's turn as this sort of, like, and how the turn seems. I don't even remember what the, but, and he was like, yeah, this is great that we're talking about this, but it was frustrating for him on one level because he was like, well, the really expert level play comes in when you unlearn that. Yeah. And you realize that sometimes you need to cast a spell during your opponent's upkeep. That's during the, your main phase. That's the best example. So th these are the best examples. Foregoing mana utilization at the end of your opponent's turn so that you can bait them on their own, on their upkeep, especially if they're a blue deck. That's an important skill, right? People don't utilize that skill as nearly as often as they should. And then the other one is using instant speed removal on your own turn. I think instant speed removal on your turn is so I, vital. I can't tell you how many times, whether it's limited or standard or modern, I've reflexively... I'm like obsessed with the clock when I play Magic yeah. online, and I will F6 out of a turn when I'm done. And I'm it's, like, first of all, it's not F6 anymore; it's six. Whatever, you know what I mean. I call it F6. But the idea being that I'm just like, I just want to get to their turn, and then I'm going to do something. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god! And I, and I always have this moment of realization, like, oh my god, why didn't I cast Graska's Contempt on my turn here? These are the three things that can go wrong now. Yeah, so I mean, it's just the easiest example that I can think of is, um, is uh, when just in standard right now, if you utilize instant speed removal on your opponent's turn, if they have, there's two things. If you do it on your own turn, and they haven't drawn blossoming defense yet, you decrease their likelihood of having drawn blossoming defense. That's one. Yeah. But if they have blossoming defense already. Your Brass's Contempt is going to get countered in both cases. But in one case, you're taking an extra two damage. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, it is... So, and, like, nobody thinks about this. So, like, oh, I'm going to do this in this way. It is correct to do that sometimes. Typically, when you have a smaller number of defensive creatures, when they have relative to their number of, of offensive creatures, so that you can get the optimal, like, block setup in, that is a, is, a, is a good example. But there are very few other times. But people just are like... Oh no no! Instance can be cast on my opponent's turn, so that's when I should cast it. So, so here's my here's my follow-up question to this. Because um, again, remember we're talking about this idea that there's a lot of people getting into the game. Yeah. Right. Ideally, um, how do you prioritize teaching these general rules and getting people to adopt them? Because I can tell you, when people start playing the game, they play really loose and they don't adhere to these rules, and it's very punishing to them and very um, discouraging. So how do you then teach these rules versus teaching people when to find exceptions to these rules? So, uh, what I'd say is, again, I would not want to call them rules. I want to call them tools. Sure. So then you don't have to create an exception if it's a tool, not a rule. Right? But the thing I'd say is, like, the first thing I do, and I, I haven't taught a new person to play Magic in a long time. Like, I've taught my kids. Right? Yeah. So, um, so it, neither of them have a like a burning love for magic, right? But Bella's always the beatdown, right? I don't know. Bella's cerebral, right? She, I mean, 
she, she hasn't based on just based on how many goblin guys she's yeah, she, taken from your collection. She hasn't been like a serious chess player in about two years, but she approaches magic like a chess player instead of like I think like there's people who are really good at magic who approach it like chess. There's people who are really, you know like Tom Martell, right? People who are really good at magic who approach it like poker, right? Like Dave Price, okay? Some people are about min-maxing statistical stuff. That's more the poker players. Other people are about making cleanly perfect technical decisions. Those are the chess players, right? And there's, there are times when one of them will be better than the other ones. And I don't think one's always better. I think poker players are probably generally better than chess players because there's so much uncertainty in Magic. And Magic is such a more complicated game than, than chess. But like the tools are very transferable, right? So, so Be Bella approaches like a chess player. She's just like, how can I like absorb as much information as possible so that I can choose to make the best possible play? I mean, it's weird because I think John is that kind of player, even though he's also one of the best, you know, statistical gambling type players. Um, I think that's where he approaches right. it from, right? So, uh, but I'd say like, when I have taught people to play Magic, right? I think that I would start in a different place. And I'd say, what do you love about Magic? There were, to myself, there were two moments. In between these two moments, I fell in love with that Magic. The first one was Kurt Ape. Like, Kurt I, Ape was a great one. So I got Kurt Ape was like I a didn't lightning own. bolt, lightning uh, bulb moment. I want to say lightning bolt moment. Yeah. It was both. I didn't own Taiga, but I, when I, but Kurt Ape, as I played in Revised, right, taught me that there was an underlying, there was like an underlying structure to the magic universe that could, if not be solved, that could be explored and ultimately gamed, right? It's like, oh, when you play this specifically in combination with this, you get way more than one mana's worth of value, right? That was like, for me, right? And also, and also that idea that, and it sounds naive, but to say that a 1-1 one, one versus a 2-3 for one mana were wildly different. Yeah. Right, so the idea that those numbers actually significantly matter. It's not, it was less to me that, I understood that getting extra value for basically nothing was good, okay? But I, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to articulate even what, you know, the level of what you just said at the time, but it's just that there was something to right. be explored. Yeah. Was one of the two moments that made me fall in love with magic. The other one was lightning bolt, right? And the first time I ever understood that I could cast lightning bolt. So, so it's like lightning bolt, not that long in, maybe like three weeks in, I understood that it was generally better to lightning bolt someone's creature than to lightning bolt their face, right? But I was excited to Lightning Bolt their face when I first saw Lightning Bolt because at the time of the cards that was available to me, because I was playing it in Revised, this was about the most efficient translation of card, mana, and damage that there was. And of course, I just wanted to make a deck that was all Lightning Bolts, right? Like, oh, this is how I would want to play. This is a very efficient translation of these things put together, right? So before I understood things like discard strategies might be good against this or, you know, Sometimes you don't, your mana doesn't come out right. Like, I didn't understand that yet. So, but I did understand that there, a thing that I could do was bolting my opponent's face. The moment that I bolted my opponent on their turn instead of on my turn. Oh, yeah. Was one of the two like moments. The, the, or when you do it on both, the bolt you, untap, bolt you. Like, to kill someone, like, you know what I mean? Oh, or yeah, to, yeah. to, like, bolt you, untap, do something else, and you're dead no. is, like, a pretty, so like, earth-shattering sequence. For me, like, a, such a common because I we would make decks that had like seven lightning. Well, that's how many lightning bolts I own. So I there were seven, you know, right? Yeah. So a real common play pattern for me, I remember this super concretely. Was like first turn mountain lightning bolt you, okay? 
the first time I went first turn mountain go on your upkeep lightning bolt you, I had crossed, I'd crossed the line already. Like for me, right? right? Like that there was something more to this than, right, right. than like the morons who were, you know, I, the first time I'd ever encountered magic, somebody had a COP blue in play. <laughs> How good could they have been? Okay, sure. right? So, I mean, the first game of magic I ever played, I cheated. Right, so I, uh, my, we only had like one white black deck, and we'd like kind of split it between the two of us, right? And so, um, I understood at some level that there was a difference between Swords to Plowshares and Terror, and I don't know why you would ever play Swords to Plowshares; it seemed terrible to yeah, me, yeah. right? Like when when you could play Terror, I mean, come on, but like, but I appreciated that there was a difference, and I raised dead that Sarah Angel. I raised dead the hell out of that Sarah Angel. Very first game of Magic I ever played. That's right, I cheated. I, I think Swords is certainly one of those lightning bolt bulb moments yeah. for me. But the one that the really big one for me was probably like February of '95. I've been playing since '94. That's a while. Um, it's already you're already on the Pro uh, Tour at that point, right? No, 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 no. The Pro Tour doesn't exist yet. That's '96. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, '95. Oh, maybe. I played in the second year of the Pro Tour. My first Pro Tour was November '96. Well, first, first Pro Tour is... My first Pro Tour is Pro Tour 6, maybe 5 or 6, November of 1996. I don't, I do not not know first, this. First Pro Tour, I opened Neutral Ground in February, in, in, sorry, in April or May of 1995. It, there was no Pro Tour yet. There was no Pro Tour yet. The How Pro did they Tour have is, so many Pro Tours? The, they, they just ran a bunch of them. Pro okay. Tour was in, was it, the first Pro Tour was in 96. Um, really? Really? So they had like six Pro Tours in the year that I played? It was very place? quick, yeah. Well, how come I wasn't eligible for first year Hall of Fame? Don't answer that. <laughs> so I said don't answer I'm that. Laughing counts. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. I still but don't have 150 the, Pro the, Tour points. The best Magic player in the world yeah. for a little while in the beginning of 1995. Let me guess. You're John not, Chinook. No. That was my guess. I mean, John Finkel didn't even really exist yet for us. It was Steve Jones. Steve Jones is someone who played at neutral ground for years and years after this and was never, again, the best player on earth. Yeah. But Steve Jones was certainly, and by earth I just mean the New York, greater New York City metro area. Well, probably was true. Which is probably true. Um, but he was the guy who discovered that if you cast Wrath of God or activated your Nevernal's disc, you could then animate your Mistress factories and they would still be alive and you could kill your opponent with them. And it was just kind of like this crazy... What, what year was that? 95? 95. I mean, where I was playing, people already figured that out. And I started in 94. Well, he may have, he may have figured it out sooner. I mean, we started running tournaments in 84. I but, mean, like... But, like, he was he was the dominant player for a There were already... Where I played, there were already, like, Wrath Everybody Jade statue decks. Sure. So, sure, like... Sure. Um, so... I mean, like that already. Like, well, before I ever played in a tournament, that I was playing against yeah. those over the counter. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, uh, it's funny. The first big tournament I ever actually, no, I guess it was the third big tournament I ever played in. Look, but the first one was like a weekend. You guys didn't run it. It was, uh, it was uh, in Mid Atlantic in like Maryland or whatever. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you an interesting story about that. Right. But the, the, I guess the third one I ever played in. I think Jarvis, uh, you just. Uh, Jar uh, Jar uh, I think Jarvis just posted a link to that to a flyer for that post for that tournament so i i played in downtown philadelphia 
Clarion Suites Hotel. You ran the tournament. That was me. Back in the day was like, I don't understand how you, what your financial model was. It, it was like PTQ, giant type two tournament, that like sealed deck for a thousand dollars all concurrently. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, so, but I mean, I, I guess, cause I, I co-won the PTQ with Eric Lauer. I made it to the, to, so anyway, so I'm in, I'm, I'm first round, it's like only like the third big tournament I ever played in. And Worth Walpert like drives up to play in it. And like, you would attract really good players from like all kinds of places, yeah. right? And I'm like, I, got, I, I certainly wasn't cocky Eric enough. Eric Lauer and Randy Bueller were there. They were, that's when I met them both. Yeah. I mean, Eric and I won the, the two slots, right? Yeah. So I, I obviously wasn't at that point cocky enough to who, think who I- Who won between you and Eric? Uh, we only played one game and you know that Eric beat me, okay? That's because Eric didn't lose any matches of Magic no. that day. I mean, Eric had the anti-knee deck, right? Yeah. Like his, he literally had like, can block snow-covered swamp walk or something, like the most ridiculous anti-knee deck. But anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, what are you pointing at? I was just showing you the time. Well, I don't care, I'm, I'm not gonna make it, so. Oh, okay. Um, so, but like Worth said to me, he's just like, I guess I was always cocky, right? Like, and I, I had no reason to be cocky at this point. Um, but he, he, he said to me, I was, what, I wore a suit though, right? Yeah. I wore a suit to PTQs back then. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I was, I was the pre-modern Todd Stevens, I guess, yeah. right? So, um, but I mean, I don't know. I guess Eric Taylor said that that was like, that was like part of my thing. Like I would put people off because I, I did that, right? Maybe I should bring it back. Anyway, he said to me, he's just like, don't get too cocky, kid. There are people here who have combinations that you've never even dreamed of, right? Because <laughs> I've just never been somewhere sure. where like there are people who are like a greater than like the six guys that I played with or whatever. It's funny, the previous time I played in a big tournament was a, like, no, actually, maybe it was that year. Maybe it was later that year, actually. Um, uh, like regionals. I... I was playing a millstone deck and I like milled this guy and it must have been before that because I would have never played a millstone deck again after I'd learned how to play Necropotence. <laughs> so, um, and I milled him for like a fifth Sarah, Sarah Angel, right? And like, can you imagine if you milled somebody for a fifth Sarah Angel, how quickly he would be disqualified from the tournament? Even today, right? But I just like let him keep going, right? And I was like, oh, whatever. And then I beat him, right? But like, he eliminated Altran later in that tournament. Right. You know? And I guess it's always stung me. And I was just like, I should have... I should, it's not just good enough that I beat him, right? Like, I should have like eliminated him from life, right? Because, right. and I don't, I don't think that he was like, who plays well, five Sarah Angels? It's like, it's, I forget what tournament it was now, but like, basically, it's the first round of the Pro Tour, and um, some guy attacks with Goblin Guide. His opponent reveals their top card, and it's Damnation, which yeah. was not legal in the format, and so he gets a turn one kill with Goblin Guide because. And the Pro Tour? How do you the do pro that? Tour. It was on the Pro Tour. I don't know. But what happens to that guy? He's just eliminated from the Pro Tour? Uh, I don't remember what happened. I mean, it's possible that he was just the key. Yeah. Well, that was a rat. Yeah, in PTQ, they'll just make you replace it with a basic land. You yeah, get a yeah. match loss yeah, and then yeah, you replace yeah. it with a basic and That may have happened, too. I don't remember. But I do I do remember just the turn one That's kind of awesome. And you just reveal the damnation, to, sort of to your point. Yeah, but I mean, in, in 96 or 95, whenever this happened, if if you had milled somebody for five Star Angels, they are... <laughs> They're eliminated from game. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, but I, that that was always like, I mean, I don't think I was like ever a rules lawyer, but I played hard, you know? Mike? Yeah? You were always a rules lawyer. I'm not now. You were always a rules lawyer. Yeah? You were, you were, there's a handful of people, I adore them all. Yeah. But who were attacks on the tournament organization staff. <laughs> you were attacks. 
Just so you know. Up until when? Like, what year? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. When did I stop running tournaments? <laughs> oh, I guess you I guess you were already selling the store and they had to call you at home. <laughs> like, oh, no. Like, Mike's in the finals and there's a dispute over house. <laughs> I did get, I did get. You got a call from home, like, like appeal. I, I literally was like, appeal to the tournament organizer. Tournament organizer's not here. I'm like, then get him on the phone. <laughs> I remember that. That was 2003. Yeah. Yep. 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 So, uh, so that, so that just, just. That just was the, 15 years ago. I understand. So that's fine. So 15 years ago is the answer to your question. I'm trying to think, was I a problem since then? I think I've been too much of an unproblem. A lot of judges have like said to me because I, I don't play that many like big paper tournaments. I play like three, maybe three a year now. They'll say like you should have gotten him. Dis I've actually gotten a you should have gotten him disqualified more than once. Sure. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but I'm not. Really, I'm, in one case, I was like, to be fair, he should have won the game, right? He made a procedural error, but he should have. Like, it's correct that he wins the game, right? right? I was mana screwed. I wasn't coming back. Was he a dick? Yes. And so the judge is like fine you can take that like martyrdom status but he lied to me and i needed you to say that he lied to me so that i can so that i don't know that that's true i think if someone lies to a judge that's just grounds on its own but no sure. no no the judge just tussles it with me after he's like can you describe this to me in this way oh i see what you're saying yeah, yeah, yeah. and then i'm like he's like all right he should have gotten disqualified right and i'm like but I didn't think about it, right? Like, and you know, he should have asked me that question, but a floor judge handled it, right? And yeah, so yeah. they didn't, I didn't appeal high enough. Yeah, yeah. But the head judge is sitting there and he's like, floor judge should have asked this, but I can't step in, right? If there, if nobody escalates it, I guess. Yeah. But he's like, he clearly lied. He, he clearly lied to the judge at the table. And I, I am very far from a rules lawyer, but if there's ever a judge interaction, yeah, I am all the way to the top. I just, I just want to make sure it's correct. Yeah, so. I, mean, I always call a judge and I always, go as high as I need to go to get an answer that I'm satisfied with. Yeah, so... And I don't mean that in a di dicky way. I just mean, like, I just want to make sure that I, I'm getting the correct answer. Yeah, like, this was a stupid case where, like, I was playing, like, red-black beatdown, right? I'm mana screwed, so I got nothing. And my opponent has... What's that, what's that guy? Is like, uh, red-blue one. It's, like, a flash guy that, like, you can't hit with red, and it's a pinger. Sure, um... Insane against my deck pinger yeah, yeah. and like i have no mana so like i can only cast small guys and he has a thing that kills small guys for free and so he screws up with his sphinx's revelation basically right so he like overdraws and like doesn't discard and like passes the next turn so i stop him right but then he's just like then it gets all choppy right but the the correct but the correct adjudication according to the head judge was he actually lied right he tried to like take back his misplay by putting cards on top of it. It was like it was so choppy at that point. Yeah, you yeah. know, like he, he can't survive the match, right? He did too many things wrong. Was the was what he said? But you had to say that to me. But I would have felt really bad. I'm like, I'm just like, you're supposed to lose in your match. I mean, the kid was kind of being a dick, but like not enough of a dick that I wanted to get him disqualified, or that it occurred to me that I should get him disqualified from the tournament. But like, I guess he did lie to the judge. You know, like it's lying to the judge, you're just dead, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's. That's that's pretty much <laughs> always fatal. Yeah, but like, I mean, kids like overdrawn. Yeah, yeah. It's just like not. It's a, never the crime. It's the cover up, man. You're right. It, it, it's, that's really. It's really, that's a. I mean, that's a true statement. In that's an actual like aphorism within the judge community. That it's it's like just don't lie to the judge. It's way more fixable than yeah. you think it is. Like if something's gone wrong, magic's a complicated game with a lot of moving parts. It can probably be fixed. Yeah. But if you lie to the judge, that is unretractable. So what happened in this case is he, because he got all hectic or whatever when it when it was revealed that he had screwed up on the thing, and I the thing that I was saying to him is just like you gotta like calm down. The 
the penalty on this is you have to put a card back right and that you just they don't they don't disqualify you for drawing extra cards like that's not a thing they do anymore but people freak out yes you know? but and, he's and, like getting like and also no one and and there's like this stigma that people feel like they're like i've done something wrong people yeah. think i'm a cheater and like there's like all this like weird yeah but i guess he was a happened. cheater at that point right, right? Yeah, of course but of like course. <clears throat> so I'm, i have to get going so but let's let's just sum up um they're the beatdown or at least they want to be to whom the beatdown may concern all right um so you want to see people not take things as hard and fast rules, but as tools as that tools, they can yeah. apply correctly within a game. In a, in, in, so like basically you're saying like this maybe is your default tool for this situation, but sometimes you're going to use it differently. The way like AI or machine learning works is that it has it has these patterns, right? And its job is just to detect patterns. And like there's that thing in. Um, Silicon Valley is just like hot dog or not hot dog, right? Like that's the classic example. But what what makes it useful, like these machine learning things, is to find contexts where something makes sense. Like so, it's like, what if I say that that's a hot dog or not hot dog? It's not a particularly useful thing. It's when I say it's a hot dog or not hot dog that it becomes useful, right? Sure. So they, they create this context of finding dick pics, right? So this social network buys it buys it for that reason, right? So we have all these different tools. But my thesis is people are applying the tool of card advantage at the wrong context. And what ends up happening is they get slammed for a bunch of damage. Well, sure. It's, it's, it's actually, it's very funny, right? Like, you've given me the nickname Greedy M. Yeah. Right? And that's, and greedy, greedy M-ism is at the heart of that, isn't it? Like, where I'm just, like, trying but to... But greed is correct sometimes. Sure. But when you've accused me of it is when I've sort of tried too hard... Oh, I just always say you're greedy. To set like, up if something... If I say it 100% of the time... Yeah, but I mean, it's, I think there was, there's some there's there's a real or, origin point where I would try very hard to be like, I'm gonna hold on to this card that is fine now, but much better later. Like I would always have to be in, guilty of that kind of like trying to get cards into their optimal situation as opposed to making the optimum sequence of plays based on my mana, my hand, and my board. Position. So like that's I think part of that is strategy and information, right? Like let's say you're playing, I don't know. M11 limited and you have one terror or whatever Doomblade, whatever the hell it is you've got one in your deck and it happens to be in your hand and your opponent has like a pretty good like 2-4 flyer or whatever and maybe you zinger it so you can get 4 damage in but you know oh, he has a great. but you know he has a frost titan in his deck damn it every single time you lose to that frost titan I do. Turns, yes it's your <laughs> fault right like like you're all you're doing is translating the one answer to frost titan you have in your deck into 4 damage and it's not the last 4 damage right, right? Because he's just going to lock you down like he's another flyer somewhere, right? Like, right. you just have to, like, but you're not going to beat the Frost Titan. Right. That's the thing, right? You need to have a way to deal with the Frost Titan. And then you can beat the stupid third picks, right? Like, right, you'll right, figure right. out a way. You'll get, like, uh, there's a 5-5 five, five in your deck somewhere, and you've got a giant growth, and he's not going to kill you in time. You're going to lace together enough attacks, right? But you're like, oh, no, I, I know I know the, the general rule of tapping my mana, and I know the general rule of, you know, getting a two mana for four mana exchange, I'm gonna use this now, right? That's terrible if you know he has a Frost Titan, right? right? It might not be terrible all the time, you know? Right, well, certainly not if they're a two. If they're a two, it's awesome. Right. But they're probably at 16, yeah, right? Yeah. And then you're gonna, you're, you're just wondering, three, three, God, lucky again, drew the Frost Titan. Of course you drew the Frost Titan. You, you, you told him to. You said, free and clear, Frosty. You're gonna beat me. You know what I mean? I do. I, I've lost that frost titan every time. 
Because he used the stupid terror on his two four fly. Probably. If that. <laughs> was a one three. <laughs> yes, a one three does contain your two two. Yeah, yeah, no, it's keeping it back. <laughs> anyway, all right, so yeah, that was interesting. Um, I'm off to Sacramento this week for the GP, covering M19 Limited. Uh, I will be back next week. Hopefully we can do another one of these and maybe talk a little bit about where we are as we get a little more information about M19 Standard, because I definitely want to talk about that as we head towards the Pro Tour. Uh, can I prop something? I, I don't think we propped it on, on no, this yet. You listened to only the first episode of my new podcast with Kat? I right? did. How come you didn't listen to the next three? I don't know. You, oh, did you do three more? Yeah, they're I up. I didn't know. Don't miss a week. Unlike this podcast. I don't subscribe or anything. Why don't you subscribe? Why don't I you... just, like, I rely on you sending me a text with a link to the podcast that says, hey, could you listen to this for me, please, and tell me what you think. Okay. Well, assume I did That's that. That's how, that is the only podcast I've listened to so, in all my podcast life. So why don't you do this? Why don't you download the next, actually... The next two, I mean, they're fine. Like, I think they're about as good as the first. The third one, I think, is, like, topically really good, but I think I'm a little slow does, at the does, beginning. Does, does your wife charmingly scold you? The, the, the next two are the same as the first one from that I'll, standpoint. I, I will listen to I could listen to Catherine scold you gently. Uh, the fourth episode. With a little chuckle. I could listen to that all day. The fourth episode is legitimately quite good. Okay. Right, versus, like, and I know that some people thought that the, that the first episode is good, but, like, like, oh, your wife is charming, What's whatever. What's the podcast called? Such a crock. I'll, I'll have Carrie Dan put put a link in, but right. it's a the fourth one is about um, is about uh, the most important. We, the, the the thesis is the most important meal is a crock, and uh, it's. Do you watch Billions? I do. I did some research on the ortolan. You know that little songbird that they eat when they put the napkins oh, yeah. over their head. I, I think you'll like it. The okay. fourth episode. Okay. Yeah. Have the, you just speaking of Billions? Have you watched the Earth Two and Earth Three versions of Billions? Are you talking about the new HBO show? Succession, Succession. and Yellowstone with know. Kevin Costner. Is that that's yeah. a basic cable show? It is. I, it is basic cable, but they've had full frontal nudity on it, so I don't understand it. It's is on that, the Paramount Network, which is. I have the Paramount. I think I deleted the Paramount Network app, but, but that used to be uh, Spike TV, right? Yes. Yeah. And so guy or girl full frontal nudity? A girl, but because Billions had no qualms about an eighty-year-old penis this sure. year. Um, but, so, uh, Yellowstone is basically just like some earth that's all cowboy earth, and it's just billions set with cowboys. Well, is it like really like a cowboy earth, or they're just cowboys? No, 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 it's, it's set in, it's just set in like Montana or someplace like that. Yeah. And, uh, he's a rancher, and he's got his whole family, and they're all, you know, super wealthy and powerful. Very much like Succession, and very much like Billions. I haven't watched Succession. That's also Billions. Uh, it's also it's sort of Billions. It's a little it's a little hard to watch. It's a little bit like because it's like they're basically the Coke family or the Murdoch family. So you really can't root for anybody. See, I don't like them. I don't. Yeah. Want, I don't. I, I, yeah. I, I just don't. Like but Billions, I think like especially I loved how the season ended. Like, am I gonna be okay with uh, with Rhodes now that he's not like? You know what I mean? Like he's got he has. I, I think like I might be okay. I hated him for two years. And I'm just like, I guess he's okay. And like, I, I think people criticize me because I always thought Bobby was okay. Yeah. The thing is, here's the thing. If you're gonna sit down and watch a show, Bobby is an animal, right? He just responds to stimuli. And like, you do a certain thing, he's gonna act a certain way because he's an animal who responds to stimuli who happens to be a billionaire. Rhodes is a servant of the people. If he acts that way, he's the bad guy. They're both they, bad guys. 
That's just, that's the moral of the story. I don't think Bobby's that bad. He did one bad thing. It was bad. All the implication is that all that he does is bad things. That we just see a sampling of those bad things on the show. I mean, but that's fine. That's a, that's an argument for another podcast. He's in finance. If your argument is that they just do bad things, that's an argument. Sure. Right? Well, but I don't. I don't think that's, that's true. That's one of my arguments. Yeah. Well. All right, Canada. Thanks oh, by for the way, listening. This was the Top Eight Magic Podcast. Brian was David it? Marshall and uh, Michael J. Flores. Quiet Leonard. Demar Derozan. <laughs> Canada. Oh, oh my gosh, that Demar Derozan thing was actually quite pertinent. This yeah. is a Canadian There's, podcast. So, so it was magic relevant, is what you're saying? Yeah. It's also, all, we did a podcast with almost all magic content. Then. Also, raptors are dinosaurs, which is one of the key creature types in standard right now. Perfect. All right. In.